Hey, welcome to Grace Church Online. Glad you're here. Uh, I'm Dan, and I happen to be the campus pastor here at the Norton campus. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I don't know where you're watching this from, but uh, hopefully I get a chance to meet you. Uh, last week, I had a chance to hear from Pastor Adam. He did a great job, and so thankful for that. And so this week, I just kind of want to continue our journey uh, through First Peter's. I was thinking about a little section we'll look at today. I was thinking about how life's funny, right? Uh, most of us spend a lot of our life trying not to stick out, right? Trying to blend in. Like, we don't want anything to call attention to ourselves. There are those few people, right, that uh, kind of make a sport out of just being different, right? They want to be different, maybe dress a little different, want to draw attention to themselves. I was thinking about this in regards to, regardless of how you feel about uh, the mask situation, which we're wearing masks right now, many of us are wearing masks. Uh, I think that way about people who are wearing masks, right? Uh, there are some people, right, who they simply wear this kind of mask because they don't want to stick out. They just want to blend in right? But then there's all kinds of people who wear all kinds of interesting masks. I, I came across some interesting masks. Uh, here's one, right? If you're looking for something unique to kind of draw attention, it's kind of got the glitter uh, with it, very functional, right? Uh, here's another one, right? Uh, you can wear a mask and eat your vegetables all at the same time. I like that one, right? I uh, came across this. I don't know. I don't know if I'd recommend this, right? Either uh, you get coronavirus or you get foot fungus. I don't know what the, the deal is there, but that's kind of a unique thing. You can go elegant with your mask, right? Uh, here's somebody, and uh, she kind of put jewelry on it. I like this next one. This next one, this guy paid $4,000 for his mask, right? And so he's got a gold mask. Here's what I know. That just kind of illustrates the fact that a lot of people just want to blend in. Some people, they make a sport out of sticking out. This next section of 1 Peter is going to tell us something that for a lot of people who call themselves Christ followers, some people who would say they're Christians, they're weird just for the sake of being weird. Let's just say it, right? They're, they're weird just for the sake of being weird. But there are a lot of people who call themselves Christ followers who they just want to blend in. They just kind of want to follow the taillights of where the culture is going, right? They just kind of want to do what everybody else is doing. They don't want to stick out. And Peter's going to tell us this today. That if you're a Christ follower, if you have a living hope, right? If you receive the gift of living hope, then you're going to live hope while living here. And here's what he's going to say. You're going to stick out. There's going to be something different. In fact, 1 Peter 3 is all about this, that when there's something different, it's going to beg a question. That somehow the difference in a Christ follower as they live life is going to beg a question. And he says, be ready to give an answer. What he's saying is this, that living hope while living here is going to somehow cause my life to appear different. It begs this question, does my life appear different? If I'm somebody who says I am a Christ follower, does my life beg a question? If it doesn't, then maybe I'm not living hope while living here. Can I just be honest with you? Maybe I've just given a nod to God, but I've not really, really turned my life over to Jesus Christ. I think that's what Peter's trying to tell us. 1 Peter 4, if you have your Bible open, 1 Peter 4 is where we're at. We're just going to look at some verses that are interesting to me. 1 Peter 4, here's what he says. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. 
For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. He's assuming you've done this, right? Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They, those people, are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living, and they will heap abuse on you. But they'll have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel is preached, even to those who are now dead. He's not saying that the gospel is preached to dead people. He's saying the gospel was preached to people who have now died. That's what he's saying. So that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And then he says this, beginning of verse 7, he says, the end of all things is near. Peter is saying this, that living hope while living here looks different because right in the middle of this, here's what he says. He says in verse 2, let's look at it. He says, they do not live, key phrase, the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For a person who has said yes to Jesus, there is the before and there is the rest of. That's what he's saying. And there is something different about the rest of their life after they've said yes to Jesus, after they've received the gift of living hope. When they start living hope while living here, that's the rest of their life. And so here's what Peter's saying. Here's the big idea. I want you to write it down. We'll flesh it out. Living hope while living here, ready? Means saying no to sin and yes to God. Shocker, right? The preacher said, say no to sin and say yes to God, right? That's like surprising. You wouldn't expect to hear the preacher say that. You wouldn't expect to hear that in church, right? That's not surprising at all, right? That's like calling somebody on the telephone. You expect them to say hello. That's like driving through Chick-fil-A and you expect them to say my pleasure, right? That's like going to an Ohio State game. You expect to hear hang on Sloopy, right? That's like turning on a country music station. You expect them to talk about a pickup. You expect them to talk about an ex-girlfriend, drinking beer, and a dog. Somewhere you expect that, right? When you go to church, right, you expect the preacher to say, say no to sin, say yes to God. No surprise. But in this passage, there's some keys that are so important that we need to unlock. I think what Peter's going to do is this. He's going to answer three questions. He's going to say, why? Why do we do that? And he's going to say, how? How do we do that? It's not as easy as it sounds. So how do we do it? And then what does that begin to look like in our life? Let's start with why. The very first thing he does is he starts with why. I want to show you something really important about reading your Bible. The why is this. Verse 1, he says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body. Now, as you actually look at the way that's written, it, it really is this. Since Christ suffered in his body, this, therefore. That's really what it's saying. Down in verse 7, we see another therefore. The end of all things is near, therefore. Here's why it's important. Everyone, you, me, we all have a therefore in life. I do, you do, we all have one. What comes after your therefore tells you why you're doing what you're doing. It, 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 the, the thing that comes in front of the therefore of your life tells you what motivates you, what drives you, what inspires you. It is the basis for which you do whatever it is you do. We all have a therefore. And our therefore, what comes before the therefore, tells us why. What comes after the therefore tells us what to do. 
What comes before the therefore talks about what is ultimate reality to us. For some people, they would say this, I believe there is no life after death. That's their ultimate reality. Therefore, I'm going to live it up right now. Right? That comes before the therefore. There are some people who say, I think everyone gets to determine what is true for them. Therefore, I don't think I should ever judge anybody or evaluate if something's right or wrong. See, something comes before the therefore. It's their ultimate reality. Everybody has a therefore. You have one. We need to evaluate our therefore. What is before your therefore will help you understand what you're there for, what motivates you, what drives you. And this is where Peter starts. Why does a Christ follower say no to sin and yes to God? Because grandma told me to. Because the Bible says. Ah, it may sound like, but there's something rich that he says. What he says is this. We say no to sin, yes to God, and here's the picture we have, right? Because of the reality of the cross, because Christ suffered on the cross, and the return of Jesus, he's coming back. Because of the reality of the cross and the return of Jesus, therefore, I'm going to live the rest of my earthly life saying no to sin and yes to God. He said, that is why. That is what is before the therefore. For the follower of Jesus who has living hope, they live hope because before their therefore is the belief that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And that that same Jesus is returning. He is alive. Therefore, it is a living hope. Let's start with this. Many of you know the story of Jesus. He came, was born. You know that Christmas, right? Grew up to be an amazing teacher. You've read some of that stuff. Did amazing miracles. Like, that's awesome, right? But did you know that almost one-third of the gospel accounts talks about the final week of Jesus? And that seems to be significant, that the story of the cross is why Jesus came, that he came to die, was buried, and rose again. I've read it down this way. I believe, ultimate reality, that Jesus died on the cross to suffer the judgment for my sin. That is why I say no to sin, yes to God, because I believe that. I believe that when he died, he suffered the judgment for Dan Gregory's sin. Jesus did, and he did for you too, by the way. 1 Peter 3 says it this way. Pastor Adam showed us this last week. Christ suffered once for sins, paid the price right? The righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he suffer for sins? He didn't do anything wrong. Well, this is, let me use a big term. This is what you call substitutionary atonement. He, the one who was guilt-free, died for all of us who are guilty, right? Here's, here's what you know. You already know this. I don't even have to convince you of this. Most people I talk to know this. We're guilty. There's things we'd like to redo, there's things that we regret, we're ashamed of. We know we're guilty. The Bible says it this way, we're sinners. And most people find one of several ways to deal with their sin and their guilt. Some people, you know what they do? They just compound it. Like, I'm guilty, I might as well just go all in, right? Just go for it, right? I'm already guilty, I might as well really just have a good time while I'm doing it. A lot of people, you know what they do? And maybe this is you, I don't know, they cover it. They don't compound it, they cover it. They become religious, and so what they're trying to do is they're trying to cover their guilt 
with maybe looking good on the outside or or maybe impressing people and maybe they'll even impress God. Here's the problem. Whether you compound it or you cover it, you still carry it. And there's a lot of people today that are carrying the guilt of their sin. And that's the beauty of the story of that man on the cross because he came so that you didn't have to carry it so that you didn't have to keep compounding it, so that you don't have to cover it with religion, but he came so that you could cast your guilt on him. That's why he died. That's the gospel. I don't got to keep beating myself up over my guilt. He was beaten up for my guilt. I don't have to kill myself to try to work my way out of what I've done wrong into God's good graces. But God's good grace was this, that Jesus was killed all the things that I've done wrong. And that's what frees me from the power of sin in my life. He said yes to paying my debt. The cross. It's not just the cross. I'd write this down somewhere. Because Peter says, I believe that Jesus will return. It's not just what he did for me, but he's coming back. He's alive. They buried him. He rose again. He left. He said, I'll be back. And when he does, he'll return to judge sin. And rid the world of the suffering of sin. I don't know about you, but during this coronavirus and stuff like that, you know, there's been no sports. And, and I'm, I'm kind of a big sports fan. I like competition. So what do you watch on TV? You know, well, I've done pretty well without watching very much TV at all. But there is this one show that my wife and I have kind of gotten intrigued by because it has some competition in it. Maybe you've watched it. It's called Survivor. Survivor Island. Uh, we've watched maybe one or two seasons through this uh, coronavirus, and we just got done watching, uh, I think it was season 21, if I'm not mistaken, right? And uh, as we're watching this thing, now, I, you got to do me a, a favor and promise, if you know my wife, don't tell her what I'm getting ready to tell you, all right? Because we're watching this thing, and it's like full of suspense, and you begin to root for certain players and root against, you're like, oh no, my favorite player's going to get voted out, and this person, you're like, don't want to win, they're going to win, right? Like, if you watch, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you sit there, and you're like, oh, they're going to lose the challenge, and so one night I'm sitting there, and like the suspense, because I wanted this one player to win, and the suspense was killing me. So you know what I did? <laughs> Unbeknownst to my wife, I got on my phone. And I looked up who won season 21. And I read who won season 21. And can I tell you something? The guy I wanted to win won season 21. And so I watched the rest of that season with my wife. And she's all full of suspense. And she's watching this. I don't think. And he's going to get voted out. And I'm sitting over there like, I think it'll be all right. You know? Why was it? I kind of knew what was coming. Lean in. I hear this all the time. People in the middle of what, what's going on in our world, people say to me, Pastor Dan, what in the world's our world coming to? You ever heard somebody say that? Maybe you said it, right? What's this world coming to? If you're a Christ follower, you know. You know. He's clear. The funny thing is, those who said yes to Jesus, we have a living hope. And we can Google the end. He's like, let me give you a, a clue as to what's coming. And here's what's coming. He's coming back. Why? He's alive. And Jesus is the judge. And here's the deal. He either judges my sin at the cross or he will at a throne. I either stand before Jesus, the judge, in Christ or not in Christ. That's the two options. 
I will either stand before Jesus and I will stand before the King, Jesus, who took my place, or I'll take my place in front of King Jesus who will judge me. That's the deal. That's what's coming. And Jesus is coming to not only simply to judge sin, but to eradicate the world of suffering. That's the power of this thing. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus is coming and all of a sudden he's going to make all things new. Here's the way Revelation chapter 21 says it. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be, say this out loud wherever you're watching this, there will be what? No more. No more what? Death, mourning, crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I love this, right? No more. No more cancer. No more coronavirus, right? No more face masks, right? No more. No more whatever it is. No more. You see, I'll say no to sin and yes to Jesus because I believe Jesus died to suffer the judgment for my sin. And he's coming back to eradicate and judge the world of sin and eradicate the world of the suffering that sin brings. Here's the deal. You'll stick out if you live between the cross, the reality of the cross and the reality of the coming of Jesus. You live different. But it's not just enough to know the why. It begs the question, how? Well, then how are we going to do that? And I think Peter answers that. And I think the answer to that is found here. Therefore, talked about this, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Here's the secret. He uses a military term. He says, arm yourself. It's a military term. And I love that because it lets me in on something. It's going to be a struggle. Like if you're thinking, sometimes that's a struggle for me to say no to sin and yes to God. Congratulations. Peter says, yeah, he uses the military term. He's like, yeah, I get it. Paul in a place in Romans 7 says, sometimes I don't do the things I want to do and sometimes I do do the things I don't want to do and it's kind of like confusing, right? right? It's going to be a struggle. That's why he says, arm yourself. He's saying, if you and I are going to do this, living between the ultimate reality of the cross, Jesus is coming back. He says, we're going to have to think different. You have to think different to live different. That's what he's saying. You got to arm yourself with what? With the same attitude Christ had. That's what he's saying. Don't miss this. What he's saying is when it comes to saying no to sin, it is all out war. It is all out war. Why would I think it's not going to be all out war when it is sin that literally took Jesus to the cross? It's going to be an all-out war. And for some of us, here's where the war is. The struggle or the battlefield is from within. This is where a guy named Paul helps us out because, well, what does it mean for us to begin to have and arm ourselves with the same attitude? Look what he says in Colossians. He says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. It's fascinating. What's the point here? I think the point here is this. I think I would say it this way. 
that if I'm going to arm myself with a different attitude, I must determine to kill sin, not simply to tame it. You write that down somewhere, and can I explain this? I was listening to a pastor. His name was Matt Chandler, and, and I thought he did a great job it, kind of explaining this. He was talking about uh, being on a trip, and he, he, he was watching this animal uh, channel, and uh, they were showing this show where there was a lion, and there was a model who was beside the lion, and whatever they were selling shampoo or what they were selling. I can't remember how the story went. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden it went awry because the lion attacked the model. And he said what was interesting was this. What was interesting was the commentators talking after the event. They said they couldn't believe that happened. And he said it was strange to me because as you're watching this, like it's a lion. It's a meat-eating lion. Why are we surprised when a meat-eating lion acts like a lion? Here's where the problem lies for many of us. Many of us, when it comes to sin, we want to redefine sin. We want to rename sin. We think we can tame sin by renaming sin. And so therefore, we somehow become surprised when sin does what sin does, and it devours us. And the reason we become surprised is because sin, sometimes the struggle within, it comes from our own desires. You see, Peter uses this word, Paul uses the desires inside of us. Do you see that? It's so interesting, right? Like we have these impulsive desires. Have you noticed in our culture, can we just talk shop for a minute here? Have you noticed in our culture that somewhere along the way, we think because we have a drive or an impulse or a desire, that that drive or that impulse or that desire all of a sudden becomes a right. And we assume that it becomes a right because it is right for me. Guys, that is the sexual code of conduct in our culture. If it's a drive, it's an impulse. If, if it somehow is a desire, it becomes my right. And it becomes right. You see, here's what I know. The story of God says this. Just because it's a desire or an impulse doesn't make it a right, nor does it make it right. But we've been created by a creator who created us with a design that's rooted in creation. And when Jesus came and died on the cross, he died for all the things that diluted, polluted, compromised God's design. All the things inside of us that are wrong. That's why he died. Like sin drove Jesus into the cross. So that's why Paul says when it comes to sin, don't try to tame it. Don't rename it. Don't try to call it a pet. Don't try to somehow subdue it. Kill it. Put it to death. But here's the deal. Our struggle isn't just inside of us. It also causes a war outside of us. Right? That's what he's saying. That's what Peter is saying. Look what Peter says. You spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do. That's just people who haven't acknowledged and said yes to God in their life. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. That's anything that takes the place of God. He says, those people, 
okay, who maybe are still involved, they're surprised. Why? There's something different. That you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. You know what happens? They heap abuse on you. Lean in. Here's what he's saying. Our decision to say no to sin and yes to God will surprise some people, will stand out to others, and it will even cause some to heap abuse on you. You're not going to suffer the way the people he's writing to were at the moment. But it will create sometimes some uncomfortable suffering. High school students, you say no to sin, yes to God. Sometimes you won't get invited to the party. Middle school students, you say no to sin and yes to God means you might not be included in the cool crowd. Young adult, you say no to sin, yes to God, might mean she won't want to go out with you again. For those of you who simply work in a place where maybe you're the only person who would be a Christ follower, you saying no to sin and yes to God might mean you're the brunt of the joke. I don't know. But that's simply what he's saying. Is saying no to sin and yes to God sometimes surprises and even sometimes they'll heap abuse. So how in the world do we arm ourselves when that happens? I like this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that, that hinders, throw off the sin, talked about it so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, keep going, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you won't give up, so that you won't grow weary, so that you won't lose heart. Here's the way I would write it down if you're taking notes. I would write it down this way. I'll decide to endure through suffering to the joy in front of me. Here's the question. Let's, we're going to talk about this next week. What was the joy in front of Jesus when he endured the cross? It was you. It was me. Jesus ran into the suffering of the cross for the joy in front of him, and that was you. And so what he's saying is this. We who call ourselves Christ followers, can take up the cross, sometimes of our suffering, for the joy in front of us. Well, what's that joy? It's him. It's him. It's Jesus. Our joy is found in Jesus. He is our hope. In Jesus, we have hope not just for eternal life, listen close, but for abundant life. And so I'll endure through suffering, even if everybody around me says it's crazy, heaps abuse on me, says it's, it's not what everyone else is doing. I'll endure the suffering. Why? Because I'm following not just the one who gives me eternal life, but the one who leads me into abundant life. See how that works? I can decide to endure. Here, here's the deal. When I, when, 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 when I lose the fear of suffering, sin begins to lose its power in my life. It's true. 
You see, here's the deal. When I begin to lose the fear of suffering, all of a sudden the power of sin, the lure of sin, the pressure of others begins to lose its power in my life. Here's what Peter's saying. Living from the power of the cross, the fact that Jesus is coming back armed with the attitude of Christ, that is how we say no to sin, yes to God. So what's that look like? What's that look like? Well, let's go there. He says, the end of all things is near and the rest of the Rest of this section, I think he answers the question of what? Therefore, and I think there's three things, and we'll go quick through these. He says, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. There's a couple key words here, alert and sober-minded. The idea is somebody who keeps their sanity, right, and is involved. That's the idea of these two words together. Here's the way I would write it down. I'd write it down this way. I'll keep my head in the game and pray. Uh, A lot of you know this. I coach football. And I can tell you as a football coach, when when you're coaching a a group of kids, you're always telling them, you got to keep your head in the game. You got to keep your head in the game. And there's two ways that kids would somehow lose their head in the game. The first way is this. The kids that were on the field they would begin to lose their head in the middle of the game because the crowd noise all of a sudden became more important to them than what the coach was saying. And so if momentum was going, they'd get panicky and they'd start to freak out or maybe the opposition would start to talk smack at them and they'd lose their head. You say, got to keep your head. Keep listening to me. There's a second way that players would lose their head in the game and that was this. They'd stand on the sideline. And they'd start just looking around. They'd turn around, look in the stands. They'd be watching everything. And then when it came time, they weren't sure what was going on. I think that's the gist because Peter is saying this. He's saying, pray, and first and foremost, don't panic. Don't let the crowd noise, don't let the opposition noise cause panic. You know the final score. Guys, let me just say this. I'm going to be brief. Of all people, in the middle of a global pandemic, with what's going on in our world, of all people and what's going on in our world, even politically and whatever is happening on the news, Christ followers ought to be a peace-filled presence in the middle of a group of people who are panicking because we follow the Prince of Peace. (laughs) That's all he's saying. Keep your head. Have you read how this thing turns out? But I don't think he just says, keep your head and don't panic. I think here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to to keep your head and participate. He's like, "I, I want you to keep your head by staying in the game. If there's any group of people who ought to know what's at stake, it's people who believe in the reality of the cross and the return of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Peter is simply saying people who live from the cross and toward the promise of his return understand that their primary mission is to point people to Jesus. That's what he's saying. If there's any group of people who ought to know what's at stake, it's us. It's the second thing. It's the second thing. And he says, and he says, therefore, because the end is near, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. (laughs) 
This word deeply, it means this. You dig into the Greek of it, it means to be stretched out. I think this is what he's saying. I'd write it down this way. He's saying that if I'm going to say no to sin, yes to God, I'll stretch myself to love others. Like, I'm going to stretch myself to love others. Why? Because the one I'm following stretched himself to demonstrate his love for me. That's it. And he gives us two ways. You know how that happens? You know how I'm going to stretch myself to love others? Two ways. I think the first way he says is this. Love covers a multitude of sins. Is there anything more stretching in my love than when I forgive somebody who hurts me? Makes sense though, doesn't it? Makes sense though that a people whose sins were covered at the cross are willing to cover the sins of others with forgiveness. I, I want to talk to you, and I've got to do this for a second. I want you to stay with me. I really believe that sometimes our struggle with forgiving is that, now listen, it's not going to make sense at first, is directly tied to not understanding the holiness of God. Because we think the cross is all about, yeah, God covered me. He wrote me a note. And that's not at all what happened. That when Jesus died, he died for my sin. And he satisfied the righteousness of a holy God. He covered. He didn't minimize my sin. He didn't condone my sin. He didn't excuse my sin. He didn't overlook my sin. He covered it. Nothing going to stretch my love more than when I forgive somebody that hurts me. And then he says this. He says, practice hospitality without grumbling. And I know some of you are like, well, I've already got that covered. But maybe you don't understand what hospitality is all about. Because the word is phylloxenos, right? And it's two words that are put together. It means to, to love strangers. People that you don't know that well. People that aren't as much like you. Guys, can I just tell you something? If there is a group of people that in the middle of a nation that is upside down with racial conversations that ought to run into the uncomfortableness in an effort to build relationships, it's people who are stretching themselves in love because we follow the one who stretched himself to love us. And then he says this, and this is where we'll end for this week. He says, end of things is near. Therefore, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, do it as one who speaks the very words of God. Serve, do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Here's how I'd write it down. I will use my God-given gifts to serve others selflessly. People who are living hope while living here will recognize that God gifts his children. That includes you. And can I just tell you this, that the gifts that God gives to his children aren't simply preaching and singing on a Sunday? Like, did you see what he said? They come in all kinds of various forms. All kinds of diverse forms they come in. And he's gifted you. But he's gifted you not to draw attention to yourself. Look how gifted they are. But he's gifted you so that you could leverage your gift to serve others. Why? 
so that at the end of the day, saying no to sin and saying yes to God is about serving others in a way that somehow turns the lights bright on Jesus, the one that we're following. Father, I don't know who all I'm talking to this weekend, but my guess is I'm talking to a diverse group. God, there are some maybe that are watching this that have never said yes to Jesus. They're still trying to cover their sin and their guilt. I pray right there in their living room, right there, wherever they're watching this, that they would take a minute and say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I believe you died in my place for my sin. God, my, my guess is that some of the people watching this would say they're a Christ follower, but somehow they've been losing the battle. And I pray that they would walk away from this conversation armed with the attitude of Jesus, that somehow they would decide to kill sin, not tame it, endure suffering into the joy in following Jesus. God, I pray at the end of the day, as we say no to sin and yes to you, that all of a sudden we would be a peace-filled, not panicked, prayerful group of people who know what's at stake. That we would be people who are stretched in our love and that we'd be a people who are using whatever gifts you've given us, leveraged for the benefit of others so that the lights turn really bright on you. Thank you for loving us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.